Hello and welcome to the 12 Shows of Richard Herring podcast, or as some of the cool kids are calling it, Tatasahra. That's just stupid, that one doesn't work at all. Um, this week's episode is just going to be a preliminary look at the two shows that are coming up in the first weekend of this crazy 12 week, twelve show run in six weeks. Uh, I am doing Christ on a Bike at the on the 7th of August and Talking Cock, Cock on the 8th of August at the Leicester Square Theatre. This is the beginnings of doing all 12 of my shows over the next six weekends. Uh, on Fridays and Saturdays, culminating on the 12th of September with my brand new show, Happy Now. Go to the LeicesterSquareTheatre.com, LeicesterSquareTheatre.com, and you can book tickets. If you book tickets to more than three, you get a discount. If you book tickets to more than six, you get a discount. And if you book tickets to all 12, you get a discount and a free handmade T-shirt that are pretty good. Um, I've worked out, but, you know, the T-shirt, I think you can sell on eBay for £20, £30 at least, possibly more than that. Um, you could just buy all the tickets and sell them for a tenner each, and you, that would be 120 quid straight in. So you'd be up £50 up if you don't even come and see the shows, although I'm not sure you can pick up the T-shirt without coming to at least one of the shows, or at least coming to the theatre with proof of purchase. So um, that's something to think about, but if you're just trying to choose one show to see, then this podcast will hopefully help you decide whether one of those shows will be Christ on a Bike or Talking Cock, and... So far, so good. It's going quite well with these. I was I was worried about Christ on a Bike as it's quite an old show. Uh, and even the second time around 2010, that's still five years ago. So I wasn't sure it was going to come back to me too readily. But so hopefully, I've done a couple of previews where I've had a crack at the first half of both of these shows. And uh, it's come out pretty well. And I've been listening to the audios that I have. And uh, they seem to be going all right, and this, as I record this, there are still a few days to go. So hopefully, talking, um, talking Lock and Christ and the Bike will be fine. Christ and the Bike, of course, has the famous Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas, and his brethren routine. But that bit, at least the memory bit of that, is possibly the easiest thing uh, to remember out of everything. Um, so I, I thought I'd quickly read you a bit uh, that didn't make it into Christ and the Bike. There was quite. Quite a few bits. I did work hard on this, and there's a few bits that ended up getting getting cut. And I did come up with quite a lot of biblical criticism. This one did end up being in that was then. This is now, and it's written up as a sketch for that. So it may may not quite read a stand up. Uh, but this is an, among with the many biblical inconsistencies I found, not least of which the one on the first page of the New Testament. Uh, this was another one that felt a bit superfluous to the show because we'd already done one routine that quite immediately showed that uh, the the New Testament uh, it doesn't match up with itself. So this seemed a bit superfluous, but I do like uh, this uh, as a sketch, so here it comes now. On the 29th of August, uh, 29 AD, John the pa- Baptist was beheaded. John the Baptist must be the historical figure with the worst memory of all time. According to Luke 3.22, when Jesus was baptised by John... The heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove, and a voice came from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, with thee I am well pleased. You'd think you'd remember that, the heaven being opened, the Holy Spirit descending, a voice coming out of heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son. If that happened to me, I'd remember that for ages, at least a year. I'd probably talk about it with my my mates quite a lot. But let's move forward just four chapters in Luke, an estimated six months later, and lo, and John, calling to two of his disciples, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you he who is to come, or shall we look for another? 
He'd forgotten the whole dove thing already. How must Jesus have felt about that? Pretty knocked off, I expect. I think he'd have been straight down the prison to see his supposed mate, John. Uh, I've got a visitor for you, John. Yeah, visitor. No, John the Baptist. Oh. Ah, sha, bad luck. Another one for me. I hope it's one of those mental women who wants to marry someone in jail. Hello there, John. Oh, oh, it's a man. Do I know you? Of course you do. It's me, Jesus. Not ringing any bells, mate. What's your surname? Christ. Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I remember you. What, what, what do you want? You just sent two of your disciples to ask me to ask if I was he who is to come, or should you wait for another? Oh, yeah, it's all coming back to me. Yeah, yeah. So are you he who is to come, or should I wait for another? Don't you remember baptising me? Look, mate, I baptise a lot of people, two, three hundred a day sometimes. I can't be expected to remember them all. You know, it's a big event for you, but me, it's just another day at the office. But when you baptise me, the heavens open. Does that happen every time yeah it rains a lot when i'm working don't bother me i'm wet anyway occupational hazard for your baptist no no the heavens literally opened you must remember the holy spirit came down in the form of a dove don't remember no dove mate are you, are you sure it wasn't a parrot once when i was baptizing there was a parrot in a tree nearby it kept on swearing and saying Shoshy boy, and stuff when i was trying to be all holy i can tell you mate it was as much as i could do to stop myself laughing could you imagine how the bloke getting baptized would have felt with me sniggering on his big day a couple of times I nearly went, nearly went, I did, but I managed to pass it off as me speaking in tongues. But he, me and my disciples had a good laugh about it down the pub that night, I can tell. No, it was definitely a dove. It wasn't swearing. It was imbued with the Holy Spirit. And then a voice came out of heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son. A voice from heaven? Come on. Are you sure that wasn't the parrot? They are nature's mir mimics. No, it wasn't the parrot. It was my God, my Father, who art in heaven. Look, sorry, mate, when you're baptising nine to five every day, sometimes your mind kind of drifts off. Start thinking about the stoning you're going to that evening or whatever. But, you know, I'm glad you got something out of it. Tell you what, I'll give you one of my autographed towels for nothing. Who's it to again? Jesus Christ. No need to swear, mate. I'm just, just telling me your name. I don't want one of your stupid towels. Honestly, if I can't make a bloke who actually witnessed the heavens opening in a voice saying, I am the son of God, believe that I'm the son of God, then how am I going to convince people who've had no evidence at all? Get over yourself, mate. You're just pissed off because everyone knows I'm more popular holy man than you. You see the write-up the Roman historian Josephus gives to me. You barely got a paragraph, mate. I think I know which of us posterity we'll be talking about. Shut up, Baptist. I'll see your head on a platter for this. Yeah, yeah, you and whose army? My dad is God. Get out. Poor lad. If he tries to make out then the real world as a holy man, he's going to get crucified. I'm not bothered. I overheard the guard saying someone about me getting a plate of salami tonight. I love being in prison. So that was a little sketch uh, that didn't make it into Christ on the Bike, but was in the unpopular Radio 2 show. That was then. This is now Twitterton, as all the cool kids used to call it. Christ on the Bike is one of my favourite of the shows I did, partly because it was the first one. Uh, it was a big deal to try and do solo stuff. I, had, I hadn't really enjoyed doing stand-up when I first came to London. In 1989, I did a bit of stand-up on my own. We were writing for the radio, I was doing stuff with Stuart, but I was going around the clubs trying to work out sets to do. I couldn't work out whether to do a character or be myself. I didn't really seem to fit in with the the scene at that time which in the early 90s late 80s was a lot more lad led and, and people doing jokes led and I was I was much more interested in doing sketches and character stuff at that time and uh, and I, you know and I wasn't all that good as well I think is another thing I had, did do some good gigs but I basically did two or three years of stand up and had a couple of bad gigs and then decided to stop doing stand up and concentrate on the radio writing and performance that was sort of starting to 
kick off for us um, at the BBC. So it was a big deal to come back and do a one-man show. I didn't really see Trice Bike as stand-up the first time I did it, and it has some more theatrical elements in it, which I'm going to try and take down a little bit for this particular showing uh, in the Leicester Square Theatre uh, and try and make it more stand-up-y and have less sort of... Yeah, of the sound effects and other interactions that come into more theatre, but there's some very good stand-uppy bits in it. And then when and it, I suppose, um, yeah, it, it was it was sort of a big deal. I think I mentioned in the introductory podcast that I'd done a few previews. In those days, I would do maybe ten previews and try and work up a show that was quite written. And I remember doing some a very bad one in Brighton that people were very upset about. And my brother came to see one and sent me an email telling me how terrible he thought it was. Uh, and that it wasn't my finest hour. Uh, and fu- funnily enough, due to some vagary of email back in the <laughs> early 2000s, that email didn't arrive. He sent it after the show, but it didn't arrive until two weeks into the festival when the show was already a sort of minor hit and going quite well, and I was much more confident in it. So that was lucky, because I think if it had arrived when he sent it, uh, it might have stopped me in my tracks. But I did do a preview on the way up to Edinburgh at Nottingham, just the tonic, and... I didn't have any of the slides or anything and I still managed to do this first page by giving someone the list and then, then verifying that I'd got the correct order. But doing it in front of suddenly 300 people and, and, and being a bit more confident, it's it suddenly I thought this could work. And in those, even in those days you could work up a show a little bit in Edinburgh and I think I, I, think I did. I think um, you know in the first few days it changed a little bit and became quite good. And it was, it was one of those slow-burning hits in that it started off, I was probably getting quarter-full, half-full audiences, and by by the second week, it was selling out and was like a little bit of a hit and had some nice reviews, and the word of mouth was spreading very well. Um, and again, as I think I said before, there was when I was doing the the bit about the uh, genealogy of Jesus, I just it was an amazingly powerful thing because um, you'd have the audience really laughing at, at the idea and the booze of rack up stuff but no you hadn't even got to the funniest bit yet you could see them in pain laughing and it made me realise that why people want to be stand-ups and it made me much more interested in doing solo performing and I'd kind of overcome this idea basically that I could only work with other people and characters but it still took me three or four years to think of going back to actually doing stand-up I still didn't feel this as a stand-up I had a radio mic on and uh, but I had a which was what I was being projected through but I needed a mic with a stand that I just had in front of me as a prop because I was too scared that I just held on to all the way through and it was in that Edinburgh run uh, that we had a, a funny experience where someone's phone went off during the first few seconds of the show and um, it kept ringing and I did my opening jokes and it kept ringing and then I finally said look whose phone is that can we turn it off and my stage manager Simon, Simon Streeting the famous Simon Streeting had come down to try and find the phone and there were some drunk people at the front going oh it's coming from behind that curtain Where, when that curtain was just against a wall so I knew that wasn't true and then Simon found the phone in this guy's pocket or his the girlfriend's bag or whatever and he handed it to me and, and I threw the phone on the floor and it smashed into like four or five pieces um, and uh you know, because A, he had said it wasn't his phone, but B, it was a very annoying thing to do, and he could have turned it off. I don't know why they were trying to pretend it wasn't their phone, why they didn't just turn it off, but they were very drunk. And it was an ama- that was an amazing thing as well, because the audience kind of gasped, and there was a silence, and then this big laugh and round of applause went around the whole room, because <laughs> obviously everyone else was as annoyed by this ridiculous pretense, and also just the interruption as anyone else. Um, 
and I gave back the bits, but I missed one of the bits. So later in the show, this drunk woman kind of crawled onto this, the tiny stage to find the battery. Um, and they said, that, I told them they should, they would pay them to leave in the end. And they said, we're not leaving. We want you to pay for the phone. And I said, I'm not paying for that phone. It's broken. So that was a funny moment in there. That probably won't happen in the Leicester Square version of this show. But uh, it was, you know, it was an important show for me. And going back over it, I think what was nice, the second time I did it, I think the first time I toured it, it was just an hour-long show or maybe 70-minute show that I did in one half. When I toured it in 2010, I added some extra bits. I added um, the Ten Commandments bit, which you might have heard if you've watched or listened to the Meaning of Life podcast um, or indeed seen the show before. Uh, And I added a a bit about my childhood stories that I wrote, which is lots of fun. Um, And... So yeah, so it's a lot of routines. There's this story going through it. It is a little bit theatrical. It's got this dream sequence in it. Um, but it's a, it's a show that has a beginning, middle and end and a conclusion. And uh, I think, uh, again, I may have said this in the previous podcast, but uh, an American producer came to see it in, in Edinburgh. And I often find that Americans who see me are sort of surprised because they've not heard of me and I'm obviously not that famous in the UK. They'll come across me and be surprised how good I am because they've not that my name hasn't come through to them and uh, she was really impressed and she was quite a big producer and she said you know you don't get these kind of one man shows it's so rare and it's so brilliant Uh, and there was big talk about it going to New York and playing off Broadway in New York Uh, but this was uh, August 2001 and the discussions carried on through to September 2001 when something happened in New York I don't know what it was Um, and uh, for some reason, I think that might have... Doing a religious show in New York in October 2001 suddenly probably had a different feel to it uh, than it had had before. So that didn't happen. Uh, but it was doing Twice to the Bike at the Arts Theatre in London. Well, again, I was it was doing a London run. It's strange because I think people think... Both Stuart and I were very popular because they remember our TV show... Uh, and they think that we were a big smash hit. But when, even when we toured together, not that many people came to see us. When we went solo, I mean, Stuart had been doing a bit more stand-up, so he was sort of doing a little bit better, I think, with his stand-up tours. But when we did solo stand-up, it didn't. people didn't know who we were. I didn't get many people coming to see me on those early tours. And even in London, um, and we didn't get many people coming to see us as Lee and Herring either. But in London 2002, it would have been, I played the Arts Theatre, and I was on at the same time, as the vagina monologues, and I remember I think uh, Sophie Dahl was was in there. They were they were the show before, and I would sit in my dressing room listening to them. I remember Sophie Dahl, uh, I think it was her sort of l- the tiny little dressing rooms, and she was lying on her floor, her feet coming out into the corridor because she was very tall, and she is a very tall woman, uh, and married to quite a short bloke. So you know, could have that could have been me if I'd played my cards right. Uh, but I would listen on the on the tannoy to this show playing to a full audience, 400 people, and them going crazy, laughing, cheering. And whilst I like the Vagina Monologues, and I've seen it, and it's very much aimed at women, uh, I didn't think it was as funny as my show. And I felt grieved that I didn't have 400 people going to see my show. I thought they would enjoy it if they did come. Um, and every time I was doing that show, people were saying, you know, why they'd, I'd be in the bar afterwards and there'd be posters for the vagina monologues, and so many people go, why don't you do a male version of that? And I go, well, the reason I'm not going to is because that's what everyone says, it's such an obvious idea. It'd be pathetic and it would be stupid and masculine and macho and trying to slag off women in the same way, I suppose, that the vagina monologues with a bit more uh, reason is 
is celebrated women and a bit dismissive of men, um, which is understandable. But I didn't want to do a show that was trying to say, oh, no, actually, it's men who are the oppressed ones because I don't think that is true. But then I sort of started thinking, why not have nobody done this show because it was so obvious? And then I also wondered whether men actually needed to talk about their penises more than women because we talk about it all the time but we never talk about it seriously and I wondered whether men had this other men had the same hang-ups as I did so again often with these things you'll do a show that doesn't become a smash hit but it can lead to something else and everything you do I think as we'll see later I think we get to the 12 tasks of Hercules even though that show sort of didn't really work out didn't go where I wanted it to go and I, didn't, I thought I might end up writing a book about it and, or something more might happen with it that show led on to to me changing my direction in lots of ways with the way I live my life so with Christ on the Bike which was a reasonably successful show that led on to Talking Cock which then did go on to be out, certainly in terms of my shows a big success in that it sold out in Edinburgh from after the first weekend I got great reviews in the first weekend and then it sold out in a smallish room, 150-seater room, but, you know, you couldn't get tickets, and that's hardly ever happened to me that I've been sold out in advance. Uh, and then it led to loads of other people taking on this show and doing it in other countries as well. So, uh, And I toured that show for two years. But, again, I wasn't doing massive tours at that time, and I wasn't playing, still wasn't playing to masses, uh, amounts of people on those tours. But uh, that's the reason I didn't go to Edinburgh or didn't do a show in Edinburgh in 2003. Um, because uh, the Talking Cock stuff had taken off. I was writing, and obviously I wrote a book of Talking Cock, which you can still buy from me at gigs. There might be a few left at gofasterstripe.com if you want to see the Talking Cock book. Uh, but we're running out of those, though we did have it reprinted for the uh, for the second time round. And again, it was nice to do Talking Cock the second time round. Again, it's a show, because I did it in 2012, that's a bit more recent, but it's a show that really feels like it's kind of hardwired into my brain, and although I've got through a little bit of work to remember it all, I'm quite confident with both of these shows that they're going to be reasonably good and reasonably well-remembered. So I, I, I would... I definitely think they're two of the stronger shows um, and shows that, you know, don't bring a religious person on a date, first date to Christ on the Bike, because, you know, someone did that with Laura the Dance Seti, which wasn't even that bad in written religious terms, and that ended badly. Don't bring someone who's too prudish to talking cock. It may not be a first... Neither of these may be first date material, but I think you could probably bring a non-herring fan to these shows, and I think they might get something out of them, whereas I'd say something like someone like Joghurt or even Hercules Terrace, I think that might be one one more for the for the fans <laughs> but uh, I've got because I, I did a Talking Cock podcast I have used up a lot of the stuff from that so I think this is probably something I did read in the Talking Cock podcast but this is a bit that I think I toyed with as doing as a bit of material uh, early right in the early runs of um of talking cock as I did with uh, some of the poetry that's also in the in the programs I, I, you'll see the picture of this for this uh, podcast is of four programs of the 12 tasks 12 shows of herring program which is actually the back of the happy now program which you will get if you come and see any of the shows in the 12 runs uh, but there's also a Christ on a Bike program from the second run and I've got Talking Cock programs from both runs of Talking Cock so if you come to see these shows as well as getting a ticket and seeing the show you will be given a brand new program of the new shows plus at least one pro a program for Christ on the Bike if you come to Talking Cock you'll get the old and the new program uh, the newer program so there's there you are asked to make a donation to Scope the the cerebral palsy charity that's trying to get equal rights for people with disabilities you don't have to uh, that's up to you so I'll read this you know, I think I saw someone else 
did, uh, or at least heard someone else had done material about this subject at the time, uh, which is understandable because it's uh, it's quite quite an, an, once you've read the story, there's a lot to get out of it. But this was a story that happened in back in two thousand and one. Um, as you'll see in the show, Talking Cock, if you come, and this isn't in the show, so I'm, I'm just giving you some extra bits. As you'll see in the show, men will put their penis anywhere for amusement. They really will, and that's one of the more enjoyable parts of the show. This is certainly borne out by this true story, which I've called You Fuck One Goat. Forget the Birmingham Six, forget Nelson, Nelson Mandela. The worst ever victim of wrongful imprisonment is Stephen Hall, a 23-year-old chef from Hull. He was unjustifiably and callously sent to prison for six months. And what was his so-called crime? He had sex with a goat. Okay, I admit that doesn't sound too good for him, but hear me out. Hall's on his way from his home from his sister's house when he decided he would like to have sex with a goat. Sometimes men get these urges, and who are to say we are wrong? So he stopped off at a field known as Paradise Allotments, lassoed a goat with his belt, dropped his trousers, and proceeded to get down to what comes unnaturally, which would have all been fine, but unfortunately the field was right by the railway track, and at that point the hull to Bridlington train stopped at the signals. The passengers were apparently horrified. They jammed the pre-switchboard with calls from their mobiles. Now, most people at this point might have been overcome with embarrassment at the situation and stopped what they were doing and stopped having sex with a goat, but not uh, Stephen Hall. Oh, no. Instead of doing that, according to prosecutor Rebecca Thornton, he tried to conceal himself behind some tin sheeting, but didn't stop what he was doing. Tin sheeting? Not the most effective camouflage. Thornton continued he was crouching in a concealed position, clearly having penetrative sexual intercourse with the goat. The defendant was engaged in the activity with the goat for some ten minutes. But what I object to in this case wasn't Hall's actions, it was the way that the prosecution tried to make the crime appear much worse by trying to argue the case from the point of view of the GOAT. Detective Inspector David Crinian of the British Transport Police said this was a very serious offence for the GOAT. The judge heard that the GOAT was distressed. I mean, in whose opinion? Who's qualified to say what constitutes a distressed GOAT? How can you tell it's a GOAT? Detector Inspector Crinian tried to demonstrate the effect on the goat, but only confused the issue by saying the goat was certainly subdued when I saw it. So which is it, distressed or subdued? Had the molestation made it angry and upset, or had it withdrawn into itself, upset at its violation, or did it not really understand what had happened because it was a goat? Detective Inspector Crinian, the man of many opinions, also commented, and this is the only sensible thing he said, I saw the goat the next day, it did not seem too upset but it's difficult to tell. That's right, it is difficult to tell because it is a goat. And if prosecutor Rebecca Thornton is so concerned about the welfare and rights of a goat, goat, is it her next case going to be against a farmer who presumably imprisoned the goat against its will in an allotment all its whole life? Or the people in the country who are complicit in the day-to-day murder and consumption of farm animals? Surely a greater crime than Hall's murder is worse than than having sex with something. I mean, they're both bad, but if you're going to going to start saying this you know what I mean that everyone is killing and, and then eating I mean if that if someone killed and eat, ate someone you would say that was worse than just killing them so that's awful and who's to say that it is actually rape who's to say a goat the goat wasn't a willing participant in the love act we don't know it was a goat incapable of expressing its feelings oh sure so the goat seemed distressed when the sex act was taking place but I don't know if you've ever seen people having sex very often one or both of the participants seems distressed but if you stop to ask them if everything okay, if it's okay they say of course it is and get out of our bedroom this is a private moment the goat was subdued what happens a lot after sex with willing partners you get carried away in the moment then after it's all over 
you start to wonder if you've done the right thing. The goat might be thinking, what did I do? I had sex on the first date. What a goat whore I am. And it seems to me that Hall really cared about this goat. It wasn't just a roll in the hay. By the prosecution's own admission, he made love to the goat for ten minutes. It wasn't wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. He cared about her needs as well as his own, or his, if it was a male goat. When he discovered by the when he was discovered by the train passengers, sensing that it was an embarrassing situation for the goat, but not wanting to curtail her pleasure, he hid under some tin sheeting. Surely the real pervert in the situation isn't the man making tender love to a goat, but the people on the train watching them, trying to stop them. Okay, Lahore had the goat lassoed round the neck with a belt. But some goats like that kind of thing. It's not fast to judge. I'm not saying we should all go and have sex with goats. I'm just saying if you do, I'd suggest you check there are no railway tracks nearby. Free Stephen Hall. Free the whole one. Unless he's already been freed. In which case, don't worry about it too much. Probably he did. He probably doesn't want it brought up after all this time. And while we're on talking cock, I'll just do a, a few brief... brief um, comments from the questionnaire with Talking Cock it's kind of my least personal show weirdly there are a couple of personal anecdotes in it but uh, what I did is I set up a, a questionnaire on the internet anonymous one for men and for women asking all kinds of questions about the penis and um, and experiences with the penis and uh, I've got some amazing responses to this so although the show is is uh, there's lots of other stuff in there as well there are several sections which are, are funny stories and funny comments from this anonymous questionnaire. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I asked men about their childhood experiences uh, with their penises, and uh, this is some of the stories that didn't make it into the show. I used to run around with my pants around my ankles shouting, Willy Man! Sounds good. Uh, At the age of five, at dinner with the whole family, I walked in and proclaimed, I love my penis more and more and more. I haven't changed my mind yet, though it can be a bit more love-hate now, says the anonymous gentleman. Uh, I used to piss at the same time as my brother. We used to cross streams. That amused us. That one might be in the show. I used to pretend my penis was the gear stick to my dad's car and practice the gears while I was in bed. Uh, uh, Yep, there's... uh when I was about seven, I remember watching the A-Team and one of the women on it was really attractive and I got a stiffy. I asked my dad, what's this? Why has it gone all hard? And he told me it was because I really needed to go to the toilet. So I went off to the bathroom and stood there for ages waiting to wee and I missed the end of the A-Team. Gutted. I panicked at my first erection in the bath, forgotten what age. I called my dad in and asked if, and he asked if I'd been thinking about women. He then said it happened to him too and it was nothing to worry about, which is quite a good response. For There's a lot of bad responses from parents to these things, but that is quite a good way of dealing with it. Uh, getting the balance right as a parent can be tricky. On the one hand, you're conscious you don't want to make your child ashamed of their genitalia or give them a complex that will haunt them into adult life. On the other hand, you don't really want them slapping out on the fish counter at Sainsbury's every five minutes, uh, is what someone else said. Uh, and uh, just to see if there's any more that, uh, that aren't in the show. The most embarrassing was finding out what I thought was a serious illness at the age of seven and presenting it in fear to a group of collected parents, cousins, aunts and grandparents. Turned out to be a bit of fluff from my pyjamas lodged in the end. Oh! Which is pretty bad. When I was six, I had a pop gun which fired corks like Christopher Robin. You loaded it by breaking the barrel across your knee, putting in a cork and pro- closing it. I think we can see where this might be going. I was in my pyjamas, swinging free, and I closed on my foreskin and it got caught in the gun. Blood went everywhere. My mum threw the gun in the bin. I was gutted because I loved that gun. I wasn't particularly worried about my knob at the time. Uh, We used to see who could get the quickest erection without touching it at night in the school dormitory. The winner was highlighted by torchlight. 
of having competition with a boy at school who could stick their finger furthest down their penis. These are not good ideas. My school buddies, all 20 of us, wanked off in the school showers together. We aimed to hit the soap bar on the floor with our cum. Disgraceful. Uh, having a hard-on at cub camp during a show-your-willy session in one of the tents and then having a brief sword fight with one of the other boys. Uh, these are very common kind of things. Gang games of ghoulie fight with my best friend, which basically involve kicking each other's ghoulies. That can be a problem. Measuring against the banisters, possibly setting yourself an impossible goal there, depending on how big the banisters were, or indeed how big you were. I was the first kid in my class to get hairy. Hooray, street cred at last. Not really sure that's what you get. So that's the kind of thing you can expect from Talking Cock. Again, did this show again in uh, 2012. Um, well, I think in Edinburgh I did the under the underbelly, and it was there was the Olympics was on at the same time, and they show were showing the Olympics in the bar outside. It was already an outside venue, more or less. It's just a massive inflatable tent with a in the shape of a cow, and then they showed because people were losing lots of punters to the Olympics. They sort of put the Olympics on in the bar, and I think really a lot of these venues the bar is more important to them than the show. So people would, you know, they're sort of encouraging people to stay in the bar and drink for an hour, which will make the venues more money than coming to a show and not drinking for an hour. So I had to contend, I remember especially, one especially bad time against Jessica Ennis winning her gold medal, where there was literally 15 minutes of loud applause outside. I had to pretend it was for me. But I just I basically had to shout my way through the show every Edinburgh because there was so much noise. Every show in Edinburgh because there was so much noise coming from outside. So it was enjoyable. It was the first time I've been in Edinburgh uh, and having my first sort of sellout solo show and feeling a little bit like a success. The second time in a bigger venue, sort of half filling it most of the time. Um, it felt like a, and, and struggling a little bit against the Olympics, both in ticket sales and in noise. Uh, it was a, a less enjoyable time, but then I toured the show, and that was again another long and an enjoyable tour. So I'm kind of looking forward to doing it again. I, it does seem to be one that's that's really in my brain. I'll, I'm saying this, but uh, you know, there's every chance with all these shows they could go horrifically wrong. It's a it's a massive challenge. I'm more worried about the second week in with shows or something like Hercules that I haven't really properly started looking at yet, and I remember almost nothing about. So um, I'm going to try and use the slides with both Talking Cock and Christ on the Bike, though I'm going to not use the slides with Hercules, partly because it's a very old system I've got and I don't think it will be compatible. But also looking at it, I don't think it really needs the slides. Whereas with Christ on the Bike, you sort of need to be able to see what I'm talking about in some bits. And with and with Talking Cock, I think it, it's, it's helpful. So I'm very much looking forward to this at the moment. I, I will, in most of the podcasts, I might do a, a little podcast like this every week where I highlight the two shows coming up. Uh, mainly an attempt to try and get you to come and see them. Go to richherring.com, you can see, you can click on the link and see where all the shows are. Or go to the leicestersquaretheatre.com. I keep on saying the Leicester Square Theatre, but the actual website is leicestersquaretheatre.com. And uh, again, you can buy tickets to all these shows. If you buy to multiple shows all at once, you'll get a discount. If you buy to all 12 at once in advance, you will get uh, a big discount and also this horrific T-shirt. And you can see the T-shirts. I'm starting to put them up, the ones I've done three. In fact, two, actually. No, I've done three. Uh, I'm putting them up in uh, richshane.com slash downloads. So you can see the kind of thing you could expect to be receiving I think it will just be uh, divvied out on a first-come, first-served basis. I don't think you'll get to choose, but um, it's lovely if you want to come to all 12 shows. I understand most people won't want to do that or have time to do that, give up Fridays and Saturdays for six weeks. Um, 
I, you know, I happily meet you all at the end, and uh, thank you for your kindness in joining in. There are lots of tickets to sell for all these shows. The final show, Happy Now, is selling better. That it might be worth booking ahead for that. I could really do with you if you like me and are going to come anyway. Telling a couple of friends about it, um, spread the news about this. Uh, I think it's an exciting project, and, and just coming to one of the shows should be quite interesting. You have the chance of it all going wrong. Hopefully, it's all going to go right, and. And it's just one more chance for me to run these shows out and, and remind people what they were like and hopefully show people they were good. Maybe there'll be an American producer in the audience who'll say, hey, let's take this show to Broadway again. Um, but, you know, I, I think I said it's kind of apt if... I mean, there's enough people coming. And the beauty of it is is that, you know, I can't lose money because I'm not. it's not costing me anything to do this, really, apart from doing some making the posters. So uh, I'm not going to lose money, so that's nice compared to Edinburgh. Uh, and uh, though most years in Edinburgh have been making money recently. Not last year, though, Rich. No, you're right. Um, so, yeah, even if 100 people come to each show, that would be lovely. A couple of them, I think, might not get to 100. A few of them are already over 100. If we get to 200 every show, I'd be very satisfied. But there's 400 tickets, so it'd be lovely if we could get 400 people in. So, if you like this stuff, come to one, see what you think, and then tell your friends. And, and have a look through the list, see which ones you fancy. So... I will quickly tell you about what all the shows are, and I'll get my programme out just to make sure I don't get it wrong. So this week, uh, 7th of August, I will be doing Christ on a Bike. On the 8th of August, I will be doing Talking Cock. The next week, the week after that, let me just get my calendar up. Yeah, Could we edit this bit out, Terry? Just the Because um, uh, I also just put the password in wrong. Let's just uh, have a look. Oh. You just edit all this about Terry because it's just, uh, you know, this is filler. Uh, what happened, is, what's happened to Robot Voice? Is the Robot Voice? No, it's not coming out. Uh, the 14th of August, I'll be doing the 12 Tasks of Hercules. That'll be one of the hardest shows to do. And, I, you know, I, I was a bit down on it. Someone said, oh, don't be down on Hercules. Yeah, that was one of my favourite shows. I'm not saying I didn't like that. It was difficult in Edinburgh is what I'm saying. Uh, it was a show I did like in the end. And it was, as we'll find out in a future one of these, a very important show. Uh, then 15th, Someone Likes Yoghurt. 21st of August, Menage Un. 22nd of August, Oh Fuck, I'm 40. 28th of August, The Headmaster's Son. Again, this is that's one of my favourite shows. That's really not selling. I think that's a really sweet show on the whole, apart from the bit about wanking off paedophiles. But that bit's very funny. 29th of August, Hitler Moustache. 4th of September, What Is Love Anyway? Another of my favourite shows. Another one not selling very well. 5th, The We're All Gonna Die. The 11th, Lord of the Dance City. Weirdly selling well, even though I've been doing that all year. And the 12th, Happy Now... The 12th of September, happy now. Um, so, uh, no, it's, it'll be very exciting to uh, see all these again. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, and so the, the, what will happen with these podcasts, I might do a little introductory podcast each week, as I said, uh, but I, I'm hoping to do a little podcast about each show. I'll do um, how I'm feeling before the show, maybe give you some little clips of the show where things have gone wrong or gone right, and then a little post-show analysis as well for each one. Um and then I might put these shows up somewhere for you to download, uh, but that will cost you a little bit of money, but that would be nice. I've got to talk to Chris Evans, not that one, about how much we can charge, what's the least we can charge, because obviously it costs us some money to have the bandwidth and all that stuff. Uh, it's not Again, it's not really a massively about making money, uh, just to show you how it went. We might put together a CD of all of the audios, maybe with all the audios of the original shows. Uh, and I might not put up... Um, happy now because obviously that's a new show and I might not put up Lord of the Dance TV because the DVD of that is about to come out as well so I don't want to you know we have to try and make make uh, get some sales from that uh, but if you're all up for it and you you enjoy these podcasts and you want to pay something like probably 12 quid would seem right to buy 
the 12 shows or most of the 12 shows uh, on audio, then that would be lovely and that would help make the project pay for itself and wipe its nose and anus. Anyway, I've got to go because I've got to go and do a preview of my new show, Happy Now, uh, which I've done a couple of reviews, previews of, and I did about 40 minutes, I think, the other day. Uh, and it's not terrible, given how little I've done, and there's still six weeks to go before I have to do that. So I'm hopeful that that show will be a nice new show for you to enjoy. Uh, but I know that all the old shows are good, old shows are good so go to bridgetaining.com, you can find out all the details on there, or go to leicestersquaretheatre.com. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this. Hope do tell your friends about the podcast. And like I say, I'll try to keep everything as cheap or as free as possible because for for this. And if you feel like the podcast has been worthwhile, there are lots of different ways you can donate to me. The best one would be to come and see either Twelve Shows of Herring or Happy Now on tour. If you live in the UK, go to richherring.com slash happy underscore now slash tour. And you can see all the tour dates for that and book ahead for that. Because I'm going to all the shows and places that have been quite well out there, so it might be actually worth booking ahead for once. Thanks for listening. See you next time on the 12 shows of Richard Herring. It was the 12 shows of Richard Herring. Weren't they good? Most of them were. Some of them weren't good in some of the places. But then sometimes he forgot what he was saying. But he covered it quite well, usually. There was that one where he forgot everything and it went terribly wrong. But that was entertaining in itself. We'll see. That's my guess. I'm looking into the future. I'm not Nostradamus. Bye!